Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Today we're going to talk about the rapture and when it's going to happen. If there is such a thing, and if there is such a thing when it happens, I want to start by saying that, well, you know what, I'm going to start in prayer first. If it's important, we should pray about it. So, Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have given us your word. You have given us both intellectualism, but also the power of your Holy Spirit for revelation. And so, God, I ask that you show us in your word how to do both. God, how to both see the truth and recognize it as the truth. God, I pray that you give me a, a spirit of discernment, of humility. God, that you give us all an understanding in what other people may consider an incredibly complex thing. You're, you're, that you're just trying to reveal yourself to us. That beyond all the craziness of the tribulation, God, that you desire that we understand that this message isn't about any of those things. The book of Revelation is about your son Jesus. So settle our spirits to that. To know that we have reason to be joyful. That we have reason to celebrate. God, and it's because you hold us in your righteous right hand. My prayer is, again, that you give us an ease, a comfort. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, an understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'm going to take this. I want to start by talking about first things. I there is literally a crowd of people who love the prophetic. Like they'll step over the gospels, they'll step over the the epistles to the churches, they'll step over all of those things to get an opportunity to talk about the prophetic. And there's nothing wrong with having an understanding of the prophetic, but first things must be first things. Jesus, or Paul said that I teach most significantly things of the first importance, which are Christ and Him crucified. We must understand that the way we perceive the rapture and the tribulation is a secondary issue to salvation. I'm going to say some things today that you may not agree with. It is secondary to salvation. Does everybody understand that? Uh, I, I've, I've seen brothers separate and consider, even I've even heard one person say, that person's not, he can't even be saved and have that position. That's not true. Because the Word of God says, if you declare Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that He was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. It doesn't say based on your position of eschatology of end times. It says on your understanding and your belief in the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the fact that He is going to raise us to Himself at some point. Amen. With Him as the first fruits. And so I, I don't want you to get twisted. I'm not saying keep your opinion to yourself. If you have questions, and I'm sure there will be questions, um, I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. If you know that it's a question that can be answered 
later on in the book of Revelation. Wait till we get there, but if it's something you just have to have the answer to, email me at info at launchpoint.church and I will do the best I can to explain to you whatever question that you have because I don't want you being confused or have a misunderstanding. Everybody all right? So whether you hold a a post-tribulation, a pre-tribulation, or a mid-tribulation, which we'll explain all of those things at some point, position has nothing to do about where you're spending eternity. It's just an issue of when you think you're going to get there. Everybody okay? Okay. So there's a couple of things I want to do today. I want to answer two questions. And it's actually the name of the, the lesson. It's rapture, question mark, when, question mark. Is there a rapture? And when is it? And I'm going to keep it as simple as I can. I will tell you first, there are people out there that insist there is no rapture because they can't find the word rapture in the scripture. One of my the best friends I've ever had told me, he said, I don't believe in the rapture because I can't find the word anywhere in scripture. I challenge you, if you can't find that word in the Bible, find the word Bible in your Bible. And this is kind of tongue-in-cheek. Find the word Trinity or Trinitarian in the Scripture. You're not going to find it. Find the word giraffe in the Scripture or toilet paper in the Scripture. You're not going to find it. But the fact of the matter is those things exist. So we can't... It's, it's very precarious, if you will, to make an argument for something because it's not in Scripture. You understand what I'm saying? There are things that we understand because we can see them. They're in the physical. The Bible doesn't tell me about Pastor Rick, but I can see Pastor Rick right now, well, without my glasses on, not as clear as day, but I can see I can see him. I know he's in a room. I see this gray, older gentleman in the corner over here, rustically handsome. And so because I can see him, I know he exists. Oh, wait a minute. No, I didn't need my glasses on. I know he exists. But there are also things in the spiritual within the pages of text, of text that we know based on the context of Scripture. You won't find the word Trinity in the Scripture, but the entire context of Scripture is that there is a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? And so I'm not going to make an argument. I, I've made, I told you guys at the very beginning, I'm a literalist to the degree that I can be a literalist. And so I'm going to make a declaration out of what I can find in the Scripture. And so I'm going to ask that you take notes and, and come along with me. I'm going to start this discussion by answering the first question, is there a rapture? And I'm going to answer that question out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to turn there. And I'll give you time to do that. This text not only explains the rapture, proving its truthfulness, but tells us what we should know about it. Let me talk to you first about the context that Paul's writing the Thessalonians. He's not just writing them a letter for the sake of writing them a letter. He's writing them a letter specifically in this area, speaking to their fear that those who have passed away have missed their opportunity to be in eternity with Jesus. 
there was a fear in the Thessalonians that those people who had already fallen asleep in Christ Jesus or died, as it were, missed their opportunity because they believed, much like we believe right now, that Jesus is coming back and He's coming back soon. Amen? They, they believed that they were going to be part of that rapture the same way that we believe we'll be part of that rapture. We should walk in expectation that Jesus is coming back all the time. If I didn't want you to walk in expectation, if Jesus didn't want you to have a hope, then He wouldn't have given us the Scriptures that talk about Him being the hope. I don't think He would have given us the book of Revelation if He didn't want us to know the process and the plan for which He had to fulfill the promises regarding eternity for us. And so in that context, He's writing to the Thessalonians, and He says this, verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about who who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope, which is the context of this scripture. They were worried that those had fallen asleep had missed their hope, which of course is Christ Jesus. But if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Did you catch that? This is, this is not the part of the breakdown, but I want you to pay attention to the expectation that even Paul himself had, that he, he might be part of this, this process by which Jesus is coming back, this rapture. He says that we who are alive, so he's talking in the present tense, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Even Paul was in expectation that he would see Jesus again in the rapture. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout in the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So he ends by saying, comfort one another, don't worry. And he wants us to know, why not worry? Why don't I have to worry about there being a rapture? How can I stand confidently here and tell you that there's going to be a rapture? Because the rapture first and foremost is about Jesus. Let me break this down for you. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. How many of you guys believe that Jesus died and rose again? That He's as alive today as He's ever been? That He sits at the right hand of the Father? I think Hebrews 10.10 Waiting to make intercession or making intercession for us. He has taken care of us. He did everything necessary to ensure that we would be with Him in eternity. That means that, that He came. That that He sacrificed, that He died, that He did everything necessary in the work of our salvation so that we could be forgiven. The Bible says that He, excuse me, He did what was necessary for us to be forgiven. He did what was necessary for us to be redeemed. He did what was necessary for us to be sanctified. He did what is continually being necessary by the power of His Holy Spirit to ensure we maintain that sanctification. Amen, that we've been sealed in the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in Christ Jesus, that we might put on Christ Jesus. 
So we believe in the rapture. I believe in the rapture first and foremost because Jesus lived, did the work necessary for me to have an eternity, and He was resurrected, that He rose again. This is what Paul has said. I'm trying to make this plain. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that He rose again. 1 Corinthians 15.23 tells us this, But each in his own order, Christ died as the first fruits. After that, those who were Christ's at His coming. How can I know that I'm going to be resurrected? How can I know there's a rapture? Because Jesus Christ was the first fruits. Because He did it to prove that it could be done. To demonstrate for us that this life isn't the life that we're going to live eternally. That He cares enough about us to have sacrificed Himself. All the stuff, you've heard me say it a thousand times, and I hope to never finish saying it. That He became sin so that we wouldn't have to face the penalty of our sin. That He hung from a tree to be cursed so that we wouldn't be cursed. How can I know that Jesus is coming back, that there is a rapture? The first reason I know is because He loves me enough to have done what was necessary to take my penalty for me, to take your penalty for you, and as evidence of His work was raised back to life according to Scripture. He is the shadow, the model by which we will see resurrection. I love that. I feel like I, I could just be done right now. But i got a bunch of stuff still to talk about. Jesus rose from the grave to show that He has power over it. He died to conquer sin. If I was going to write something down, I would write this down. He died to conquer sin. He rose to destroy death. The thing is, He didn't have any sin of His own. So he didn't die to conquer sin for himself. He died to conquer sin for you. He was never bound to this life, but that he voluntarily came and humbled himself as a servant and died so that we could know that he did all the work that he did for us, so that we could know that we would be resurrected, and in so doing, destroyed death. We can have confidence in this. John 14, 18 through 19. It will not, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, listen to this beautiful thing. Because I live, you shall live also. I want us to be settled in that. If I don't cover anything else today, and I plan to, but if I didn't, I want us to be settled in the fact that Jesus loves you enough that He is coming for you. That He died for you. That He conquered death for you. It's the reason why 1 Corinthians 15.55 says what it says. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? These are rhetorical questions. Questions that don't need an answer. Because the fact of the matter is, death has no victory. Death has no sting, except for the unbeliever. But you've just declared to me and to Christ Jesus that you believe 
that he lived, that he did the work necessary for your salvation and was raised from the dead as the first fruit. Amen? So I will tell you, death has no sting for you. In believing this, in faith, in declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. The question now is, who is he talking to? In regard to the rapture, the rapture is, speci is a specific, for a specific people. 14b through 15 reads like this. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Everybody say, in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So there's an order to all things. The Lord Himself, is, it's reserved for two kinds of people, the rapture. It's reserved for those who have fallen asleep in Christ Jesus and for those who are alive when Christ Jesus comes back. Now, I don't want to freak you out. You're all, wait a minute, they've fallen asleep in Christ Jesus. What's, where's my loved one right now? Your loved one in spirit is with Christ Jesus. I want you to know that the second you leave your body, to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. But there is a glorified body that happens after or at the rapture where the, those who have fallen asleep will be given a glorified body just like Jesus was given after his resurrection. In that glorified state, they will meet Jesus. The dead will rise first. Whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him, is what Thessalonians 5.10 says. And so we have those that have fallen asleep that are with Him now in spirit, but will be given a glorified body. And we have those, if Jesus comes back right now, those who are awake, those who are with Jesus Christ right now. I say all that to say this. If you're not with Christ Jesus right now, you have no hope for, in the rapture. You have no chance in the rapture. The rapture is for those people who have died in Christ Jesus and who are currently alive in Christ Jesus. People who have a relationship with Jesus. Don't believe in the universal ideology. Only those who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ shall be saved. For there is no other name under heaven which one can come to salvation. Amen? So these are the people. The rapture is to a specific people. In a specific order. Verse 16 through 18 it says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven without a shout, with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these things. The rapture has a specific order. I want to talk about that specific order. First, Jesus Christ is going to descend from heaven. 
Y'all, y'all didn't seem impressed enough with that. <laughs> Jesus Christ is going to descend from heaven. Now, let me tell you, this is not that Jesus Christ is coming to earth. He doesn't put his foot on Mount Zion until later. The confusion, I think, for a lot of Christians and whether or not there's a rapture when it happens and all those kinds of things is based in their lack of understanding between the rapture and the second coming. The second coming is when Jesus actually comes to earth to fight and have the victory to, to bring the entire remnant and those that were saved during the tribulation to himself. We will be with him during that time. I'm going to cover all of that later because that was a whole mouthful of theology that was going to require several hours of explanation. But I don't want you to get confused. There's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. We will be involved in the second coming. We will come down with Christ as the saints of God and bear witness to the victory that he has. Everybody's all, man, we're going to have to fight? Man, Jesus has already won the fight. We just get to come and watch and be part of it. And so it says, Jesus will descend from heaven. Why will he descend? Because he's ascended. Romans 8, 34, Jesus Christ is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. I misquoted that Hebrews text a few moments ago. I apologize. It's Romans 8, 34. Because he is in heaven right now. Man, I, you ever have a day when you just need to know that Jesus is at the right hand of God making intercession on your behalf right now? God, I really messed that up. Please forgive me. Jesus. Father God, this one belongs to me. Because he belongs to me. And he's been covered in the precious blood that I shed. I ask that he be forgiven, that that be wiped clean, that that be remembered no more. And we have the promise that those sins ask forgiveness over, God remembers no more. But Jesus will, that's, that's just extra, that's not in my notes, man. I just get super excited that I, that I serve a God. I have a God, but I serve a God that loves me enough to after finishing all the work still see to me day to day to day to day even in my shortcomings even in my failures but he will descend from heaven with a shout I, y'all, y'all aren't as excited about this as I am because it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal except for shout as a military term. It means he's going to descend from heaven. Yet, much like in the military when a drill sergeant comes in and he's going to give a shout. He's going to say, stand to, stand up, be recognized, be acknowledged, fall into formation. You belong to me. Isn't that good? That God in the dead first, the dead will rise when the trumpet sounds. Jesus Christ will shout. There will be a shout and a trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise, stand to, at whether it be at attention or not, they're going to acknowledge the voice of the Lord. They're going to acknowledge the sound to stand up. They're going to acknowledge 
the trumpet's call, and they are going to stand. I need that in my life too. The most important person, minus my wife, that I've ever known is my papa. And I haven't seen him since 2001. And when Jesus comes back because of the faithful declaration that I know he made, and he says, with a shout, stand up, I'm going to see my grandfather, my papa, in his glorified state. Why do, why, do I, why do I think the dead rise first? One, because they've been faithful. They died in their faithfulness. They accomplished and completed their, their, their test, their trial, their race. And they deserve to be honored first. But some piece of me, man, just goes, I think God's going to do that just to let me see my papa. How many of you, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but have lost someone that you can't wait to see again? I did a funeral not very long ago. I did a funeral this weekend, but this, the one I did before that, the casket was laid out. And I told them the truth, and it's the truth that I'll tell you now. If you were a believer, you will see her again. But if you're not, when this casket shuts, it'll be the last time you ever see them. That shout, that standing too, is for the believer. Those people who believe in Christ Jesus' work, that He is resurrected, and that He will come back with a shout. That a trumpet will be blown. I want to talk to you about a trumpet for a second. I Oh, i got plenty of time. I'm good. Talk to you about a trumpet for a second. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, which means in a glorified state. You were once perishable, you will be raised imperishable. You were once mortal, you will be immortal. Amen? What's the significance of the trumpet sound? I want you to look back across the scripture and, and identify the moments in scripture where the trumpet was, was sounded. The trumpet was sounded in Exodus 19, 16 through 19, when the people are called out with a trumpet to meet God. So first, I think there's instances where the trumpet declares an assembly before God. And when we stand up, we will be called with a trumpet to assemble before the Lord. But not just that. In Zechariah 9.14 and Zephaniah 1.16, the people are rescued and delivered from oppression. And a trumpet is declared. I'm looking forward to an assembly. An assembling call. I'm looking forward to a call out of oppression. Out of the oppression in your all, you're not really all that oppressed. Let me tell you, you may live the most glorious life you can possibly imagine. And compared to your glorified state, this will be an oppressive time in your, in your history. Because a glorified state is perfect. How many of you guys wish you, had, you didn't carry something that you carried? That you didn't have scars that you have, whether they're mental or physical or spiritual? How many of you... Got, all of that stuff. 
we will be delivered from. The Bible promises much later on that in eternity there will be no tear, there will be no disease, that God himself will comfort us and watch over us, that his love will be so bright that the, um, heaven won't even need a light for the glorious love, light of the Lord. I'm paraphrasing. So the trumpet is blown for both reasons, to celebrate, to declare the assembly, to meet God, and the deliverance of God's people from oppression. And then the dead will rise first, leaving their grave behind. This is the reason why Paul's writing to the Thessalonians in the first place. Those alive then will, be, will rise, plucked out, caught up, snatched away, transformed into our glorious bodies, glorified bodies. Philippians 3.21 says this, who, it says Jesus Christ in, 20, in verse 20, Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. Did you catch that? I don't want to use any words that are super religious or that maybe you may not understand. Jesus will transform the body of our humble state. That means this, this fleshly, this scarred, this abused, this ill-treated, mistreated body which is humble in its state, into conformity with the body of His glory. That we will be like Him in our glorified state. Don't get me messed up. There's a whole theology out there that say, when you're glorified, you'll be like little Jesuses. You'll be little gods. That's absolutely not true. You're never going to be God. You're not God, even if you think you're God in your own mind right now. Let me tell you, that's not true. But there is a time in our future where the glory of God will shine on us and our bodies will be glorified, not by our own doing, but the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. So that will happen by His power, not our power. We will rise. And for this reason, comfort one another with these words. I think we don't comfort enough, one another enough. I've talked to people that are struggling, that are hurting, surrounded by church people, and no one's speaking life into them. How much better would we be? How much more comforted would we be? How much more aggressively would we take the kingdom of God? If somebody come up beside us and said, and, and just so you know, Rich isn't the guy that comes in and says, my life's terrible, but if Rich come up and said, Pastor, I'm having a bad day, endure in your bad day, brother. Because endurance brings, perse perseverance brings endurance, endurance perfection. And when you are perfected in Christ Jesus, you will be with him forever. But I'm being persecuted. Endure your persecution so that you will be perfected. But the world's coming around me. It's coming against me. Endure what the world is doing to you. Accusations are being made against me. Endure those accusations. I put on Facebook this week. Some of you probably read some of it. You aren't even on Facebook. I said, we've got to get comfortable with people not knowing our side. The more you pick at something, the more that it bleeds. 
How about instead of continually picking at something, we just let it go, look at each other and all. You know what? There's an end time coming. There's an eternity coming. I love you. God loves you. And he will see you through. And I'm here to stand beside you physically while he stands beside you spiritually. Man, that's the church. God's good. And so we're to comfort one another. Paul said, Paul said we, because he expected that he'd be involved in the rapture. 2,000 years later, we're saying we, because we expect we'll be involved in the rapture. Can I just encourage you with one thing, as long as we're talking encouragement? God's promises aren't slow as we understand slow. God's waiting on the perfect time to reveal himself. He would want that no one suffer that no one should go without knowing him he's waiting to so that as many people as possible can be saved before he comes back but he's coming back can we say he's coming back oh, I didn't mean physically but literally I mean we could just live like that <laughs> all right so that's the first question I'm gonna get through there's I'm only going to cover a couple small things in regard to where I think this is. If there is a rapture, the second question that I've proposed to answer today is where do I think it happens? When is the rapture? I will declare to you that I am a pre-tribulationist, which means that I think Jesus is coming back before the tribulation. I'm not a mid-tribulationist. I don't believe we're going to have to see half the wrath. I'm not a post-tribulationist. I don't believe that we're going to see all of the wrath. I believe that God removes His people before He pours out His judgment. And so I am a pre-tribulationist. And I believe that pre-tribulation, the shadow of that pre-tribulation rapture, is at 4.1, Revelation 4.1, which is the reason why I'm talking about it right now where it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like the sound of a trumpet. Sound of a what? A trumpet. Speaking with me, he said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. And so John's having his second vision. It's the first vision, the, the what was, what is, we're in the what is right now, and what is to come. And so I believe in pre-tribulation rapture that that is a shadow of the rapture that will take place. Why do I believe this? Because between Revelations 4.1 and chapter 19 at Jesus' return, first and foremost, we don't hear anything about the church. I'm going to say it again. We don't have anything, we don't hear anything about the church. The verbiage changes. He's talking to the churches in the seven churches. It's the church age. That's the time of grace. The, 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 the time after the cross, between the cross when we receive grace and the time that Jesus takes us home. And then we hear nothing about the church. There's absolutely nothing during the whole seven year tribulation that talks about the church. Why is this weird to me? Why do I think this is a reason? Because the scripture is, for, is, is informational. 
You want to know how to live right? You want to know how to act right? You want to know how to stay right? Except for Revelation 4.2 through Jesus' return in 19. And then there's no more instruction to the church. 19 times the church is discussed in the first three chapters and then no more again until Jesus' return. I think that's significant. The only thing that we hear is that ours is a blessed hope, that Christ is coming in His glorious appearing. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are we looking for? We're looking for Jesus. We're looking for Christ. You know what we're not looking for? We've never been instructed to look for? The Antichrist. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Make sure you're focused in the right direction. But there's a reason, there's a, still a purpose for, for the revelation or God wouldn't have given it to us. But before we discuss that, know that the second reason why I think I'm a, why, why I think I, why I believe pre-tribulationism is because the church will be, has been promised that we will be delivered from the time of testing. I'm going to end up about 10 after. Everybody all right with that? From their time of testing. Revelation 3.10 says this. He's talking to the Philadelphia church. If you'll remember back to the seven churches, Philadelphia was the one that really got it right, man. They were figuring it out. Philadelphia was the church that didn't have any correction. He says this, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing which is about to come upon the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. I will keep you because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I will keep you from the hour of testing, which is about to come upon the whole world. That hour, te- that hour of testing is the tribulation. He's saying persevered in the word of God, which means that you have kept the word of God that you have come to salvation based on the Word of God, that you have been obedient to the Word according to the Word of God, that you have kept the commandments according to the Word of God. And I'm excited about that. That I don't have to... Have you guys ever read Revelation? I'm glad I'm not having to worry about that. Number three, Jesus declared that He would remove us. Why do I believe in a pre-tribulationism? Because Jesus told me that He's going to remove us in His Word. It says this in Luke 17. Excuse me while I read for a second. And just as it happened in the days of Noah. Everybody know who Noah is? Noah built an ark. And was told to build an ark to save the righteous before God destroyed the earth. So it will also be in the sons in the days of man that were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were be given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. God told him, hey, hey, something bad about to happen, I need you to build a boat. He built a boat. The second his whole family got on board the boat, destruction happened. You know what Noah didn't face? Noah didn't face destruction. Noah didn't face the wrath of God. 
And then he continues. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. Everybody know who Lot is? Lot was at Sodom and Gomorrah. He was the faithful one there. And he was delivered from there before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. But what happened before that? Lot was removed. What happened before the flood? Noah was removed. Life was just going on. It says they were just doing stuff they do. They were getting married. They were sowing their crops. They were doing whatever it is they do. And God snatched them out of there. They, he removed them and then judged them. And by them, I mean those besides Noah and Lot and their family because they were righteous. You know the incredible thing about the Word of God? I can't find anywhere in it where we're told to expect the wrath of God. I'm going to say that again. I've never found anywhere in it that said the believers should expect the wrath of God. Romans 5.9 says, Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. And so, just as in the days of Leonard, when they were marrying and giving in marriage and working and doing what they do, God removed Leonard and then poured out His wrath on them. If we're not going to be involved in the, in the tribulation, I have a question. Why do we need to know about it? Why do we care? Two reasons. One, because it gives us reason to praise and worship a holy God that loves us enough to have saved us from His wrath through the work, through the work of His Son, Jesus. I want you to do me a favor. Sometime between now and three months from now, I should give you plenty of time. Read the book of Revelation through 4.1 all the way to 19. And if that doesn't give you pray, a reason to praise and reason to worship God, you're never going to find one. When people beg that the mountains fall down on them, crush them and kill them because their life is so bad, we're saved from that is in the days of Noah and Lot. There's a second reason though, and it was nailed out here. Because then, now, recognizing the joy that we have, we should be passionately in love with the world that Jesus died to love and declare the message of what's going to happen to them if they don't accept Him, to them. Jesus died for them too. I've never met anyone, no matter how horrific a person they were, that Jesus didn't die to save, that Jesus didn't die to love because he loved them. People are all, that means you've got to love everybody. People don't look like you, people don't act like you, people don't think like you, people that don't believe like you. Let me tell you, the whole Middle Eastern world, all the countries in the Middle East and North Africa, most of them are saved by people who heard the gospel message but were Muslims because someone loved them enough to tell them, maybe even at the expense of their own life, that there was a God that loved them. 
Why do we care what happens? Because we care about people. Why do we care about people? Because Jesus cared about us. And for this reason, and it's the final reason why I believe in a pre-trib, is because Jesus himself, himself told me, don't be troubled. In chapter 14 of John, verse 1, he says, Do not let your heart be troubled. He's talking to his, his peeps about leaving, his disciples. He says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's houses are in house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also and you know the way where I'm going. i got to tell you, I've read about the locusts and the bites like scorpions and the dragon and all the stuff. I've, I've read it and read it and read it. And I, if I thought that was for the believer, Jesus would have never been able to tell me, do not be troubled. Because I would be troubled. Revelation freaks me out. That it should freak us out. It should freak us out to the point that we want to worship the God that saved us from him, from that and tell other people about it. And so I'm going to end on this. Whether you're a mid-trib, post-trib, pre-trib, know this. Jesus died so that we could spend eternity with him. I believe that the evidence of Scripture is that that will happen before God pours His wrath out on the world. Amen?